Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 113. And in today's episode, we're going to look at a passage in 2 Timothy and kind of relate it to some ideas of discipleship and sanctification that we've looked at on the podcast before, previously. But before we do that, as always, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books, but in a unique way. We've received some emails from our beloved listeners, and so we're going to interact with those emails today, and it's book-related. One is about a specific author, and then one is a very broad topic. And so let me get over to these emails. And so the first one, uh, this is an email sent in by Steve Carper, and I want to say congratulations, Pastor Steve, on being ordained recently. And uh, your son, his son, Jackson, uh, rides in our church van, comes to Maranatha with me. And so oh, yeah. and I've known the Carpers for a, a long time. That's awesome. But um, anyway, so uh, he says, I've been in a bivocational ministry for a lot of years and never really had the space to keep or keep uh, or time to read books. So keep books or have time to read them. I have never really been much of a reader except for what I had to read in college. Quotes, had, I was forced to read it. I've recently become ordained and was gifted some money to begin my pastoral library. What are some good books that you would recommend for someone like me who has never really enjoyed reading? And uh, so uh, Andy and I, we're we're all going to interact with it, but primarily Andy and I are going to interact with that. And uh, so Andy, any initial thoughts? Like brand new, starting to buy some books, what would be valuable for a new ordained pastor? So I would say the first thing that I would do, depending on what kind of money I was given, is I would perhaps consider a Bible software package like Logos. Man, we're or, thinking so you know, similar. Because wow. here's the things like, I, <laughs> here's my breakdown is this. Um, I think that you need, in a pastoral library, you need your theology resources so you can understand theological issues and trends. You need commentaries to give you guidance on the text. And then, and this is just me, I think you need some church history. I think history is valuable. And at least having a couple of books where you can look stuff up in the past, find out what's going on. But for the commentaries, especially, and you're probably the same way, I like buying them in a Bible software because then as I'm scrolling, it tracks with it. And whenever I highlight it, it's with me all the time. So if, if I'm traveling, speaking at something, or I'm on vacation somewhere, I've got all my commentaries with me. So I would say probably like something like the pillar new Testament commentary or the new American commentary or the, like those are the two series I really like expositors Bible commentary would be a perfect all Bible commentary. That's like pretty girthy, but, but uh, you could buy it for like about a hundred, 120 bucks on any Bible software. Yeah. I I would would completely agree. I, I really like Lagos Mm -hmm. for that reason with commentaries, because not only will it, keep track of where you've been, but it can also sync between commentaries. So mm-hmm. like you can search for things in both commentaries at the same time or yeah. whatever. And uh, so I think that's, I, I would, I would think about investing in Bible software, but understanding what you're doing when you, when you make that investment is uh, Logos will do this. I, I'm not really up to date on what accordance packages look like, but what's very common is that when you go to buy like a package from a Bible software entity, they're going to 
they're going to market like how many resources you're getting. It's yeah. like you're paying X for the platinum package and you're getting 25 million resources. And the reality is if they, you know, that's obviously like hyperbole, but of the 25 million, probably like 24 and 999,000 of those are free and you don't need them anyway. Exactly. And so like I, th- I would say have a plan going in. And so if I'm going to get Bible software, I would start asking questions of what function are you looking for that Bible software to help you do? So are you looking for textual study? Like you want to look at the Greek and the Hebrew or at least like a good interlinear and see like where words are lining up and things like that. I think Accordance does that a little it bit do, better yeah, it does. than Logos. I agree. And that's what I use Accordance for. I do not purchase commentaries in Accordance. I use Logos if I want to purchase a book. Yep. It's typically cheaper. It's a little bit more user-friendly in Logos. But if I want to like look at the actual text, I think Accordance shines there. And, and then, searching. Searching the text. Accordance is yes, way, way better. Much more robust. Way better. And so, but if you're not really into that, I would say like just purchasing the Logos base platform and mm-hmm. then you can, uh, actually, I don't even know how you purchase, but I would, I would just, you know, think about what translations you'd probably want. You can get those. And then I would go book by book. And it's like, you don't, I'm a little bit different this way. Like it used to be like, you just buy a commentary set, but now with like the electronic sources, you can like pick and choose a little bit. And, uh, so I would think through like, what books do I really, are you going to start doing a specific study? Like, have you mapped out, you know, where you're going to preach or what you want to study? And that might help you know what books to get. And, uh, bestcommentaries.com is a pretty Mm -hmm. good resource for seeing what types of commentaries are out there and how other people rate them. And so, uh, but so I I would recommend to start off like like kind of a base, like a good new Testament survey type of Mm -hmm. a book. Uh, like uh, Robert Gromacki is the one that I kind of standard default to when I'm starting to just like in a very general way peruse. And then in the old Testament, it's like, uh, is it with the world and the word is the old, a big old Testament one. Mm. And I really like that. It's, it's going to give you some broad overview, but it's going to touch on each book kind of individually. And then um, you talk about historical theology, mm-hmm. McGrath, Alistair yep. McGrath has a really good historical yeah, theology that one's really good that touches on a lot of really good things but i didn't ever sense that it was like way too out there yeah like it's easy to follow there's another one dr george used to have us uh use in the old testament and it was man what was it i can see old the old testament it was a church, church history, history text cairns. It was a church yeah cairns that's what earl oh. cairns christianity through the centuries that's yeah, a, that's right that's a really good one that too. is a great book the other thing i would say going back to the logos thing about uh, I just literally just today in class, we were talking about Bible software and Bible resources. And I said, I like accordance when I'm in the text better. It searches better. It's easier to use. It's more text forward, but other stuff I'm really enjoying Lagos in, but still even searching today in Lagos, it was in class. It was just a big joke. However, <laughs> I told the students what you just said. I said, Hey, if you're going to buy Lagos, they're going to tell you, you have like an $80,000 package, but they're giving it to you for like two grand you're going to look in and see what they're attributing those dollars to. And it's all old books that are out of print. And so I said, it's kind of like when you shop at Kohl's, everything's always on sale. Yeah. But it's, it's because they just inflate the price and then reduce it. So you feel like you're getting a deal. And I feel like Lagos is like that. That said, I really like Lagos's package. Now, what was it? I'm sorry. I forgot his name. Stephen Carper. Stephen. So Stephen, if you're, let's say you're not a computer guy. 
that's totally fine. I still like a good paper commentary in my Bible for taking yeah. notes. And so you don't have to get Bible software, but it is a huge benefit if you can't afford it. All right. Tim has something to say. I I would agree. I mean, I, I understand bestcommentaries.com get the best commentaries, but I would also recommend picking up a, a couple of sets electronically. And two that I would recommend would be Expositor's Bible yes. Commentary, which these guys already have mentioned. Plus one and plus two. And then I would also recommend the New American Commentary series. They yeah. are going out of print in paper or they're moving to print on demand. I'm not really sure what's going on with them, but Broadman Holman's doing something with them. And, and so if you want paper copies, you might want to buy them sooner rather than later. Mm. It's a decent set and it's often on sale for a pretty cheap price electronically. Uh, so I think I've seen it like $300. And then you'd have all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament in two different commentary sets. So after you get those two sets, that gives you at least some kind of a yeah. commentary mm -hmm. on everything. Yep. Then you start picking and choosing and go to bestcommentaries.com. And then you can kind of uh, pick uh, some of the better ones when you're going to go through like a specific book. One more. Do right, you have more? I think that's good for me. Well, oh, uh, and get accordance because accordance is better than logos. So there's that. So and then <laughs> one thing that we have. So we talked about theology a little bit. You you probably want some theology references, and then you you want a way to like look at the text, and then commentaries are a bridge for all of that. You're going to get. Uh, depending on the commentary series or the particular book, you're going to get all of those things, background, theology, textual issues. Um, I want to just give a quick little plug for like a Bible dictionary. And uh, there's a kind of layers of how advanced you want to go there. I think one of the greatest benefits of Bible software is you can almost act like you know more Greek or Hebrew than you actually do. <laughs> so there, there are standard standard like industry standard dictionaries that he, will be used he's speaking truth you can yep. look way <laughs> but, better than you really are but there's by there's, using there's Bible actual software. value to it <laughs> there so is like, value you to can it. get bdag which is the standard koine greek dictionary correct mm -hmm. yep. and then you could get Hallet, which is the standard hebrew old, old testament dictionary and you can set it up in accordance or logos where you're like, I'm wondering what this word is. And it will hover over the text. You have, you might have no idea how to pronounce Hebrew. You might have no idea what that Greek word is, but you can hover over it in an interlinear and click it. And it's going to go to that standard dictionary. Mm -hmm. And it's going to show you, these are semantic options for you. Like this word can be used one of this many ways. And BDEG is usually pretty good of actually listing verses there. Yeah, they really are. Because they, they make designations for you. Now, that's Hallet is too. And they're so. not always right. You, you still want to think through what they're saying and check that with other passages and think about the orthodoxy of what they're saying. Yeah, but they're usually right. They are. I would say BDEG, like they have much better reasons for the decision they made than how I could maybe think that through. And so I would I would say that is a great reason to have a Bible software is you can utilize those materials in a much easier fashion, even if you're not as scrubbed up on the languages. Mm -hmm. So that'd be my, my last thought is, I mean, an intro package in accordance. If you just got like a couple of English translations, you got a Hebrew text and a Greek text or an interlinear plus Hallett and, um, BDAG, you're probably looking anywhere in like the five to $600 range at like a, a very basic level. And that's no commentaries, but then you would be very well equipped to do pretty much any textual study you would ever want to do. Right. 
And I don't know if this always happens, but in years past, there has been a Lagos rep who comes to the Refresh Pastors Conference. Yep. And so, Stephen, if you happen to be at this conference and you still have that money, um, they usually are offering a pretty big discount for it. I really like Accordance. Um, I'm more to transition to Lagos. And one thing that I really like about it is it sets the text up to look like a paper Bible better than Accordance does. And the highlighting is more natural. Now, that's just my opinion. And again, that's not a huge thing, but I really do like that. And I find myself highlighting and whatnot in it. But either one, you're not going to go wrong. Both are, are, are excellent. So. so I think we're good there. I think we are. And uh, if you are on campus anytime soon, I know we saw the Carpers. Uh, I just, they were here last week for uh, the concert and open dorms and saw oh. them walk through the dorm. That was fun. And if you if you're here another time and you just want to pop into, uh, I mean, probably Tim's office is the most robust as far as books go, but uh, you could stop in and kind of just see what's on our shelves. We'd love to do that too. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, so we have a second email we're going to talk about. Are you prepared to read some of this? Or you want me to do that? Um, I don't know, Mike. If you want yeah, to read it, so we got an email. Let me, let me say something first, though. Okay. We had one email that I'm just going to mention it and we're going to talk about it in the future. Uh, Randy Vodder uh, emailed yeah. in eight reasons to rethink the song of songs. And uh, it was an article that was posted by scripture or spiritual theology.net. And just to let you know, Randy, we're going to have to devote a whole episode to that next uh, season, uh, maybe around Valentine's day. So stay tuned on that one. And then Allison Wright wrote in and yeah. I'll so pick it up. Allison, uh, and that's, that's not her. What's her maiden name? Help me out here. Oh, uh, Dirksen. Dirksen. Yeah. yeah. I was like, come on, come on. Um, that's how I've known her when we were students here together. But, uh, Allison Wright, uh, was, it says, Tim, uh, thank you for reviewing some books, uh, that ladies more typically are picking up. She did not realize until college that just because a book written for ladies says Christian does not mean it's going to be healthy for my spiritual walk, which, uh, you know, I think a lot of people kind of blanket assume, you know, that, Oh, Christian and not understanding what's going on behind. That's very common. But the heart of her question is getting back to Jen Wilkin as a Christian teacher and author to be wary of. And so, uh, there's a big paragraph here, but I think wanted to get more into, um, kind of why we would uh, look at Jen Wilkin and maybe be careful about her. So Tim, you want to address that? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Allison, what I'd recommend is uh, you could go to the Worthy Podcast. That's the Worthy Worthy Podcast. Sorry, my voice is a little bit weak right now. It's by Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher. And on this podcast, what they do is they interview various authors, uh, most of them uh, women authors, and one of them is Jen Wilkin. In episode 134, you can listen to that episode and you can discern for yourself. Um, Jen is not at the same egalitarian stage as uh, Shayla Ray Gregory or Elise Fitzpatrick or uh, some of these other women, um, but she seems to be going down that same path and I don't know where that path is going to lead or end. And most of her books are probably going to be uh, fine. Uh, so it's just when she's dealing with gender relations, uh, men and women and how they uh, function and relate together, uh, she seems to be uh, drinking some of the same Kool-Aid as a lot of these other women. And I think if you listen to that episode, you're going to realize that as well. Um, she'll make statements like most interpreters are male 
uh, of the Bible, and that's true. Most of the interpreters are male. But um, when you say things like interpreters are male and so they've missed this exegetical nuance or point or whatever else, that's basically feministic hermeneutics. That's what their big point is, is that men were authoring, men were interpreting, and thus what do we as women need to do? We need to look through the text from a feminist lens. So around minute 2345 of that episode, she makes some comments uh, along those lines. She's very open to... Um, uh, well, around the 28-minute mark, uh, she discusses gender-specific ministries. Many churches have women's ministries, and she talks about how it's a good thing, it's helpful for women to open up more. Uh, it's kind of funny, in my opinion, many of these women, they're, they're kind of like vacillating between two views. It's like, yeah, we see value to women's only ministries, but then what ends up happening is we're being relegated into this... Uh, um, inferior ministry in the church. I don't know if that makes sense because we're not able to be in a ministry with men, uh, which is one of the specific issues that you mentioned in your email. Around the 31 minute mark, she mentions how we we, ha we should have like um, um, more brother and sister dialogue and conversation uh, within the body of Christ. The issue is the, the um, and I talked about this in a couple of the episodes, the issue here is the whole idea of where a woman learns and who her primary instructor should be, and then the pastor's relationship to her. So I would encourage you, if you just listen through that section, listen to Eric Schumacher's response to Jen. And Eric's response is that his ministry is primarily with the woman of the church. And I have a major problem with that. If he's the pastor of the church, he needs to be focusing his attention on the men of the church, and the men of the church need to be teaching and leading their households. And so uh, that ministry philosophy, uh, I have an issue with. And then furthermore, that there's been this thing well-known in evangelical circles called the Billy Graham rule. Uh, the Billy Graham rule from the 80s, uh, Billy Graham had this rule, I'm not going to ever go out to eat uh, with a woman uh, alone. I'm not going to do that. And then it, it kind of came back into prominence with Mike Pence because Mike Pence actually followed the same rule. Uh, he's just seeking to be above board. Well, Jen Wilkin is diametrically opposed to this whole idea of a Billy Graham rule. Um, she, along with Elise Fitzpatrick and many others, they they see this as segregating the body of Christ. You're saying, well, woman, you have your thing. Men, you have your thing. We need to not be segregating the body of Christ. We need to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's nothing wrong with a man and a woman going out for supper and discussing ministry plans. Uh, and I'm opposed to that. Uh, and I think that there should be, there's a measure of accountability and safety in uh, adhering to something like the Billy Graham rule. And, and so uh, for them to speak so opposed to it, particularly in light of everything that happened in the 80s with Billy Graham and his, I mean, he didn't do anything, but everybody else did. <laughs> I mean, it was a mess. Um, it, it just shows a major shift in our culture. Uh, so the last thing that I had... If you guys had something, just say or whatever. I mean, but, I, yeah. I, I think it'd be interesting. I'm not sure what, I'll use the term triggered you. I'm not sure what triggered you, Andy. But uh, uh, do, you, do you think the primary context of a rule like that is with married individuals? Or would you apply that across the board? I mean, as the single guy sitting here. 
Like, is it, is it, I mean, obviously there's wisdom in that. I mean, you know, a guy might take a girl out on a date and they're, you know, (laughs) it's obviously a different situation or circumstance than. That's a good point. Obviously. (laughs) But it's like, I'm thinking back to my context in Williamsburg. Yeah. Where it's like, you could meet someone up at the coffee shop and there's like a safety net there where you know you're never going to be alone. And there's Uh actually going to be other eyes there. Right. And And plus those eyes that are there are what kind of eyes? uh, Well, Impartial. Outsiders. I'm not sure what you're going for. Church members. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes, there are other church members that are there pretty much all and like and so I would do that. And and so and like and thinking through as a pastor there were times when you're forced into the scenario and there's really nothing you can do about it. Like mm-hmm. I'm at the church in my office, air quoting office. Mm-hmm. Uh it was pretty much just like right in the entryway when you came in the front door and there'd be times that women would stop in and come right around and sit down. And it's like, well, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. We can't do this. Like, I'm thinking practically, like, you know, what, how, how would that, you know, what, what would Billy Graham have done in a situation like he that? He would have had know? safety nets in place so that that kind of yeah. situation like would not transpire. a button under his desk where he can, like, Oh, he just wouldn't have been left alone. <laughs> like that chair ejects them, like, you know, out the window. But anyway, so I, I just, that's kind of what I was thinking about, but... So related to that, I would just simply say that one of the qualifications of the pastor is that he's above reproach. Right. And I yes. think I think the problem with this kind of a strong response is it's not taking that seriously, or it's not taking that as serious as I think scripture does. Now, both your situations, Carter, I recognize and I understand, and I don't know what I would do differently. But I think especially if you have the choice and how to set the meeting. I think you want to be above reproach. You want to keep your, yeah. it's, it's kind of like mm-hmm. having um, an internet filter on your phone. Like, should you need it? Well, no, in a perfect world with full sanctification, no, but that's why you have that kind of a thing. So well, what's, what's that interesting was really, yeah. With our current culture's views of like what a man is and the, the desires that drive him versus a woman. Like if you were to go down this egalitarian idea and like women are pastors, like, do any of these women pastors take that admonition of First Timothy well, three even none seriously? Of, none of these, none of these women are believing uh, that women should be pastors. So that's no, no, where I'm, just, I'm playing the like the what if, like oh. if if we did go down that road, like what Andy just said is equally would be equally as valid, and like they should never do things like that because of the appearance of what's happening. You know what I mean? Like it it would it would apply equally across like this like and obviously i don't think women should be pastors but if they were how would they fit under that qualification to be like blameless above reproach if they're like going out with all these guys from church like what would you think is happening like my goodness you know um like so it's like you start driving down that road a little Mm -hmm. bit and how like how far can you go until the wheels fall off that car you know I think the one thing you said, what triggered you? <laughs> I don't know if I would like that. I mean, I'm with you though. So when you were discussing this, Tim, and you were relating it, you had talked about something that I noticed, as you said, the feminist hermeneutic says, if you are a man, you don't have the same experience as a woman. So you're missing uh, aspects of understanding the Bible. And you said that's like a feminist hermeneutic. Yes. And I just want to say that that is sourced in postmodernism. It's actually also hand in hand with like a critical theory. And so the idea here is that there is everyone sees truth from a perspective. And if I'm on one side of the statue looking at it, I'm only going to see one side of it. But if like the woman is on the other side, 
then essentially there's an unstated premise in that kind of a position saying that unless I have both genders at my disposal, I can't know truth. Right. Major problem. That's a huge, and you only arrive at that kind of a position in postmodernism after you say there is no either fixed point of truth or there's no ability for us to see the fixed point of truth. So that's really on the back of postmodernism also. That's all I want to say. And what's you think about that too, where most of the books of scripture, I'm trying to do a quick survey in my mind, wouldn't it be all the books of scripture were written by male authors? So then yeah. that gets you into further hermeneutical issues. It's like, they couldn't have written what was true because they don't have half of the perspective. So then how do you even try to get back to the author's intent if their intent or what they're trying to mean is skewed by their gender? Like it's, it it is very postmodern. Yeah. In your, in your readings on this, I'm assuming they would be okay with all the authors of scripture being men. Yeah. Right. They're not going to have a problem with that. They're filtering through that and assuming a patriarchal perspective. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my last point in that one episode as I listened through it again and just made a few notes. Um, And this is where a podcast is not the best barometer uh, for, for ascertaining where somebody truly stands. And this, this last point will hopefully illustrate that. So this is why I've tried to be a little tempered in my um, criticism of Jen Wilkin. Uh, I don't know why she really got on this podcast. I mean, it does give her some visibility, I guess, to some other listeners, but I, I don't, I, at least, okay, so at near the beginning of the episode, I didn't write down the, set, the the minute mark for this one. She talks about how women are more emotive as a generalization um, and than men are, which I was kind of surprised that she said that because within egalitarianism, that is not a, a popular view. And interestingly, at least Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher, they push back on her. And they basically really? are saying that's a, re- yeah, they do. They push back on her. And so if you listen through that, they, they call that like a stereotype. And then she agrees with them. And so she kind of, I'm not sure where she stands. Um, as, a, as a generalization, women are more relational. They are more, more emotional. And I believe, and she even says it's not necessarily like a bad thing, um, um, but, but it is a distinction between the genders. But it's something that at least Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher reject. So whatever any of that is, I'm just using it to illustrate a, a, a point that a podcast is, let's just say, I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to be evaluated. You know, this is what Tim Little believes based upon the Thinklings podcast. I'd much rather you consult like some of my written sources or uh, um, something where I've been able to articulate my view clearly. I misspeak all the time on the podcast and I hope I don't fall falter before man in a fear of man type of situation. But in this episode, that's what I felt Jen Wilkin did. I think she folded uh, because of the pressure and it was, I mean, you listen to it yourself. You can kind of hear it and see the difference. So that's what I've got. Uh, Allison, I hope that's helpful and that it helps you to just read with discernment. All right. So now let's, we're going to transition into our main content of the episode. So let's have a conversation about 2 Timothy 3. And so I I was in this passage doing some study for one of my courses. And I think that there's, so 
to give a little bit of the background of why. So in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, there's this illustration of this vessel in the house. And I am becoming more convinced of the idea that when Paul utilizes that term in the New Testament, that he has some very uh, intentional ideas in mind. It comes up in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. comes up here where he's talking about the need for a vessel to be cleansed before it is ready for the master of the house to use it. And then it also comes up in 1 Thessalonians 4, where he talks about this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then kind of as an addendum to that, what to, what is the, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And there's three phrases, to do this, to do this, to do this. And one of them is that you would know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. And uh, so it, that's why I was studying out this passage, like trying to get an idea of how Paul utilizes the term skewos, which is vessel, in his uh, corpus. And so like a very popular view of 1 Thessalonians 4 is that the vessel is referring to the man's wife. Uh, so like that you know how to possess your wife. <laughs> and, and then there's also uh, an idea of like very specific reference to the male body with the idea of vessel. But does Paul utilize it that way in other passages? And I, I'm kind of getting to this point where I look at what Paul's saying, and it seems like he's very concerned of what is happening internally in the life of a believer as it relates to our sanctification. And so I would not take the human uh, or the the wife view in First Thessalonians four. I would not take the like it's specifically referencing the physical male body. So like getting into a sexual immorality and that that is very present in the context. But I think he's getting at in multiple places the understanding of the practice of learning to yield to the Spirit of God, and that comes up at the end of that passage in First Thessalonians four as well. But anyways, that's why I'm in 2 Timothy. I just started reading down longer on the page and something kind of jumped out to me when I got to 2 Timothy 3. So I'm I'm just going to read this here and it's very consistent with things that we've talked about on our podcast. So 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, but understand this, and this is ESV, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Um, so, uh, second Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy as a pastor in Ephesus. This is very late in the life of Paul, probably the last thing he wrote. And, uh, in general, I think you could categorize first and second Timothy as, uh, you know, as Timothy's a pastor, how he should interact with the doctrine within the body of Christ, how she, he should order the church, things like that. So here you have this long list of, uh, sinful activity of people in the the latter days of the church, and you know we'll just we're not going to get into the last days like eschatological any of that. But it's interesting how he describes these people, and the first thing that kind of jumped off in my mind is how the word love is being employed a lot. 
They're lovers of self, lovers of money, not loving good. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So this idea of love is coming up all the time. And understand, like, and we talk about the need for Christ-like affections and to cultivate good affections. And so uh, Paul is hitting on that. And he's actually telling Timothy, if you see people with skewed affections, you should actually avoid them. But then the, the word that really jumped out to me as I was thinking about this was that word in verse 3. Heartless is the is the term for uh, in the ESV, and I was really interested to see what that meant. And so, like when we talk about having heart, you know, like it can in our modern vernacular, it can very easily be like an idea of like confidence or boldness. Like a man needs to have heart, you know. Um, and then, like you know, even in um, I think it's in C.S. Lewis in, the, in Narnia where take courage, uh, Aslan says that to Lucy. It's like this idea, be brave. And so is that what he's saying in verse three? Is that what he's saying? And you, you just do a quick little study of that word and that, that is not what he's meaning. Uh, being heartless here is very similar to Lewis's idea or ideas in the abolition of man. And if you want to go back to I can't remember. It was like last year around this time we did this series on abolition of man, and he he calls people an abolition of man men. What does he say? That was two years ago. Two wow. two years ago, men without chests. Men. That was two years ago. That is wild. So men without chests. But what does it mean to be a man without a chest? And he's he's getting to the chest is where your heart is, and what does it mean to be a man without that? And he's talking about the heart as the seat of the emotions and that a man without a chest in abolition is is someone who has skewed loves, that they love wrong things, they, they love things out of order. And that's what Paul means here. If, and so I'm just glossing over this term. What does BDEG say? Lacking normal affection. How did you look that up? Uh, I'm in accordance and I'm glossing over the term. <laughs> and it's, so it's, considering our conversation exactly. earlier, and it's, it's, it's Astorgase. Like, yes. That's shocking. Cause you would think that's like the, anyway, sorry, I'm just, you keep going, but I, I thought it would have been something else underneath. So actually just to illustrate what we were talking about earlier, like a cardia or something. So I'm just, I'm just going along. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not like yeah. cardio, like the heart. It's, yeah. it's a different idea. It's but, one of the four loves. Yes. It is. Oh, keep going. Sorry. So I'm just reading in my ESV. I see heartless. I can just pull my cursor right over top of that. And I, I wouldn't even need to know Greek. Mm -hmm. It highlights that term on the left side of my margin. And I just go over to that word and click, 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 triple click. It opens up whatever dictionary I tell it to. Mm -hmm. And I have BDAG. So then it's got the word really big highlighted in red. I wouldn't even need to know what that word is. I look at it of one who is lacking in good feelings for others, thereby jeopardizing the maintenance of relationships. That's one bold definition. The next one, uh, so it's, can you keep going? Maintenance of relationships that are essential to a well-ordered society. And there's a colon. Hard-hearted, unfeeling, without regard for others and catalog of vices. And he mentions 2 Timothy 3 here. So I was like trying to think, through, like, what are we talking about here? So like this idea of this like political, like not great for, it's like, it's people in your society 
that are loving things in such a disordered manner that society breaks down. Like they're not loving the things that are virtuous. Like what would we categorize as a virtuous society? And, and you know, you could like, there's classic works on things like this, you know, you want to talk about like Plato's Republic or something like that, but like what, what is the bedrock of a society? And this is actually exactly what Abolition of Man was written about, is that the moment a society gets away from objective virtue, meaning that some values like beauty and truth are real and tangible, once you get away from that, it erodes truth, like it erodes um, character in people. And so like when you get away from those objective uh, like you should have a love for what is good. You should have a love for what is actually true. You should have an affection for what is beautiful. When you get away from that, it, it erodes a society. And Paul, and this is within the heart of like a Hellenistic Greek culture in the Roman Empire, he is identifying to Timothy, a pastor. He's like, you know, there are people out there who have all these loves that they shouldn't have. And he gives more than just the heartless comment. What do they love? Themselves? <laughs> you know, like God's dual love command is not, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Love yourself. No, love God and then love other people. Like he's giving you an order. Like what is first? You know, you see this expressed in the Old Testament. Where does the fear of the Lord begin? Or I guess, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Where does wisdom begin? The fear of the Lord. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Tim was giving me this look like, what are you getting at? But like fear, love of the Lord is like the first step of wisdom. To, to have a cultivated affection where you actually care about what God says is true and whether or not your life reflects that. Like that is the beginning step of wisdom. It says here they're lovers of money. Like they're greedy. Like rather than giving and serving other people, what do these people love? They, they themselves have a disproportionate or inordinate love of material possession. Mm -hmm. uh, they do not, it literally says in the list, not loving good. Like what you would know is good to do. They do not have an affection to do what is right. That is like a simple statement. Not loving good. Lovers of pleasure. They want immediate gratification. Rather, and what's the opposite of that? Lovers of God. So like putting your hope in a delayed gratification of what God has promised to you. Instead of that, I want it right now. Uh, and I mean, th this has huge ramifications for discipleship. Like, are you willing, do you have any sense of self-control, which is also on this list. Um, but so anyway, I'm reading down through that. And what jumped out to me was that word heartless and how it just, I really think what Paul is identifying here is, you know, we, we know the Bible teaches that bad company corrupts morals. And I think in a very pastoral sense, Paul is discipling Timothy. You really need to analyze the people you spend time with. And if the people you spend time with have disproportionate or inordinate loves, that would maybe have a negative effect on you. And that's where the command here is to avoid these people. Um, 
And so I, I just thought that was super interesting. Uh, we talk about our affections all the time, and it's a great reminder that on a personal level, we need to cultivate proper affections. We also maybe need to consider the friendships that we have and do the, the primary influencers in our lives, our friends, do they encourage us to cultivate proper affections by what they love or, you know, or are they someone that maybe we should avoid? I don't know. And I, I don't know if maybe that's as pertinent of an issue, but I think that's what Paul's getting at here. And it's, it's a very pastoral sense. Timothy's a pastor. He has to think through who he's spending time around, which interesting. We kind of had that earlier in the podcast too, but what do you guys think about that? No, I think you're right on. I mean, I'm thinking James four as you work through this stuff. What what could I kind of I could summarize uh, all of these vices? It's it's really worldly uh, worldliness, and you can't love God and the world. It doesn't work. Uh, and what's going to always win? The world's going to win. If you try to love God and the world, you try to have one foot in both, then you are worldly. Uh, you cannot. You have to choose one or the other. Uh, and so for here, um, these people are worldly and pulling them into this worldly worldliness. It's kind of interesting how it's kind of different. It seems like different levels of vice. There's different levels where some of them are uh, more treacherous and, and, and wicked than others. Hmm. Uh, but it's just kind of like a big list. Anyway, that was what I thought. I just... What I'm thinking about are the college students that we work with regularly, and and it's not just that though. I don't I don't want listeners to think this only applies to college students, um, but I I think that when you're young and you're growing and you're learning to walk spiritually, man, when you're around people who don't push you in the right direction, you have to either resist that all the time, or you just give into it. And sometimes giving into it, I think this is the thing, listener. Sometimes giving in to this kind of stuff doesn't look like giving in. It just looks like being around it and going along with it because you're not thinking about it. And so you're kind of just being swept away. So I, I think part of this with the who these people are and how they affect you, uh, man, you should, you know, listener, if you've got some friends who are pushing you in the wrong direction, you should really consider that. Is this good for your spiritual health? Are, are, are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because remember what he says. He says, if you seek first the kingdom, you get everything else. But if you seek the other things, you lose both. And so I'm, I'm just thinking, listener, if there's someone in your life who's not being a good uh, influence on you, you should really take to heart this material and think that through. How, however, um, don't don't like walk up to a person and be like you're a bad influence and walk away. I mean, let, let, let's let's pray for each other and let's work through that. So I think I'm thinking of that. Yeah, but it's more than maybe even just your friends, I guess. Yeah, because well, think about like media and oh, consumption yeah. and and where are your other air quote friends? That well, you're I around? think that's. I mean, I th that's where it kind of connects back to things we've already discussed. But so uh, so much of that list in Second Timothy three is focused on affection love of something or lack of love for something. So how would you even begin to discern where your loves are? Like, do you love what is proper? Like, how, how would you even begin to do that? And I think it's really easy uh, to frame it in the sense of, well, look at your friends right now. Which of them are ones that 
do encourage you to love the right things or which are the ones that don't. You know, it's very like the the spotlight is firmly placed on other people. But then, okay, now just grab the lamp and focus it on your own heart for a second. How would you start to discern if you're like this? And I think that is one of the most gracious and merciful things that God does for us is he sovereignly orchestrates your life to, dem- to demonstrate that to you. Like he does not want you to persist in sinful tendency and he'll allow things to happen. Uh, people, adverse circumstances, things like that to reveal to you what's at work in your heart. And you really need to think about that. Like my response or reaction to difficulty today, did that demonstrate some disproportionate or inordinate loves? And, uh, and if you see that, you know, I've got a really great book that you could, uh, you could maybe get to talk about that, that focuses on, you know, once you start to see those things, how would you start to scripturally process through those so that God's desire can be um, facilitated in your in your sanctification? But that, that's kind of kind of my thoughts there. And so, um, anyway, hope you enjoy this episode. We're thankful that you listen, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.